Geek Shock. Geek Shock. Shame. Ding, 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 ding. Shame. 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 Do you have Shame. spoiled fruit or vegetables we can throw at each other? Absolutely. Sh- <laughs> We're two dudes with the refrigerator. We've got spoiled oh, yes. things in there. They have a just head of lettuce that's basically liquid. Just throw a head of lettuce <laughs> at me. Just throw whatever, right? You laugh, but I've discovered one of those once before. Oh, yeah. Oh. My, my, the house that I lived at when I was in Wichita yeah. uh, had four roommates. And, ah, uh, that'll do it, first of all. Yep. I was going through the refrigerator, opened up the crisper, and I'm like, that is just wrong. Yeah. Wasn't moldy or anything. It literally had just dissolved into this kind of brownish liquid oh. with just a little bit of cellulose that it almost oh. made it look like it was uh, like a little bit of plastic wrap. Nice. Was it so in a bag or was it like just sitting? Oh, no. It wasn't in a bag. <laughs> so and that was, that was part of it. They Whoever put it back didn't wrap it up. And, wow. and even yeah. those lettuce bags, they have little holes in it to ventilate. Mm-hmm. So even if it... It wasn't that bag. It's still right. leaked everywhere. I just right. threw three of them out today because we went shopping at Costco. Mistake number one for for uh, what were we going? We're going for something. Walked out with you know a whole cart of groceries. Right, sure. That's what you do yep. at Costco. That's what you do at Costco. And of course, they give you half the field. Mm-hmm. So for like two bucks. <laughs> so there's only so much <laughs> salad I can make, so much sandwiches I can make <laughs> before the Costco, lettuce goes. Costco and Sam's Club are designed for. Families, yeah, of right. five or more, like Major Man. Major yeah. Man is perfect for him. Right? And uh, the man you know, brood. I do my fair share of shopping at the the clubs, but yeah, if it's not something that you can store long term, you just have to just go. Nope, nope, nope. Not gonna buy it. Not gonna buy it. Don't want to have that apocalypse lettuce stored. No, God no. Welcome, folks, to Geek Shock number four hundred twenty nine. Surprise, surprise. I am what? Master Torgo. Eighties Jeff. Fact-checked Andy. Maple Leaf Matt. And we're to talk Week in Geek. Yes, Kay cannot join us this week. Caught him uh, by surprise. I want to thank everyone, first of all, for joining us for our live show at yes. the Henderson Library's Minicon. Yeah. It was very much appreciated. Uh, the turnout was awesome. Now, because of some uh, family issues, uh, we were not going to do a show tonight and do put the live cast in its place for this week. Sure. And that family issue has been now pushed to next week. Mm. So chances are that live show is now going to go up next week. Oh. But that leaves us with a actual geek shock this week. Surprise, surprise, surprise. Wow, okay. So the, the post I put up on Facebook, uh, yeah, Nick's Ignore that. that. Yeah. Ignore it. Ignore, yeah. Unfriend him. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> that, that's the safest, smartest way <laughs> to not get bad information from me. So, gentlemen, what geeky things you do this week since the last couple of days I saw you? We didn't actually do geeky things on the uh, show. So on the we, did, that's we, good point. We, we did a major geeky thing. We went to the Henderson Library's mini right, right. which was awesome as always. Yes. So thank you to Henderson Libraries for once again having us. And then uh, we perused much original artwork and uh, geeky Self-made merchandise. Mm-hmm. One thing I really like about the Henderson Minicon is a lot of the tables are artists, yes. like local artists right. just peddling their wares. Peddling their geeky yeah. wares. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Weren't we supposed to have a booth this year, Andy, that nope. you were going to do happen. some artwork on? Nope. <laughs> and just so you guys know, Torgo here perused the soap 
table and bought some soap. So I, buy soap. Soap. I, always, I always buy soap at cons. Yes, it's weird. This, I, I, I've, I've lived with the man for 15 years and I had no idea that he buys soap at every one of the cons we go to. I we went to Comic-Con for like six years straight. I never Diego, once saw him buy soap. He got the San Diego Comic-Con exclusive soap. <laughs> I do. <laughs> I love homemade soap. I go nuts for it. It's there stupid. are people that sell soap at Comic Con in like various shapes and and scents. I went to one in 09, San Diego Comic Con. I saw them. Yeah. No, I didn't pick them up though. They're always there. In fact, I didn't buy any at the Toy Con, but that same person that was at Toy Con was at Mini Con. So I uh, thanked them for being at both places so I could buy their soap. Nice. So, ha ha, I have soap. And, no soap radio. And they choose your own uh, horror mini adventure. Right. Well, I couldn't buy anything because I spent my geeky allowance for True. the next three months. So <laughs> yeah. there is that. Yeah. Well, you know, and hold on to that because that's going to be a surprise for people next week. If they have, well, I guess people have seen photos, but yeah, yeah it's in the photos. But uh, it'll, you'll cover that more in the live con. Yeah. Yes. I did find it uh, fanta- uh, fantastic that uh, that Paulette actually used that as an excuse to buy something for herself. Oh, did you see that? She yeah. bought a really uh, nice and yeah. she got it for half off, so she still technically has another fifty dollars mm. she can nope. spend. Nope. <laughs> nope. To, to even up with you. She bought a fine piece of art from Vic Moya, a local artist I know. He's oh, a, okay. Yeah. You, so you did know the guy. Oh, yeah, not Vic, yeah. We were eyeing that Winter Soldier, there... but you're right. Like, the head was, the head was off wonky. on it or something. Yeah. yeah. Is there right. an artist in town that you don't know? Uh, probably. I swear, I've, I've, every time I run into, oh, I know that guy. He yeah. blah, 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 blah. I'm like, oh, yeah. okay. I've, I've been around. Yeah. I, Vic I can... and I worked on a book. Let's see. I think we worked both on the... Um, I think he did a story in the uh, Tales from the Boneyard uh, compilation, and I think he did a piece in the uh, Drunk compilation that was, we're both in. But yeah, he was he was he had some serious health issues himself for a while, and uh, he was in a wheelchair for a, oh, wow. for a while. Just I wasn't sure he was going to make it, and he looks great now. Terrific. Yeah. Well, speaking of art, I've noticed yeah. all these cons I'm going to lately. Like I'm pick, like I'm going towards, I'm gravitating towards the artwork more now. Than, sure. Well, it's it's a lot of times it's original. It's one of a kind. Yeah. Um, you know, there's so much, and not to not match mass merchandised geeky stuff, but that's something that you can buy, and you know, there's only one of that. You know, there might be something similar out there, but nothing that's going to be exact like exactly like what you have, and it's, it's special. Yeah. And yeah, the, I, the I, print, the artwork she got was a beautiful mermaid drawing. And she also got a print yeah. of, the, of the colored. The original one. Yeah. Yeah, she got wow. the original and, yeah, the full color print. Yeah. And there were two different versions of the full color print. Right. The one that she thought she wanted was not the one that she got, but then the one that she got, she actually liked better than the one that she thought she was going to get. Right, because so. the coloring on the tail was kind of dark in the other yeah. one. It's hard to see some of the, the beautiful detail in the tail. And was like this close to turning it back in for the one that she wanted, then realized, oh, I like the border on this. I like the tail. No, yeah. I'm going to keep this one. Yep. I forgot to tell you, at ToyCon, though, speaking back to my art comment, um, so I picked up my three remaining X-Men pops, my Funko Pop line. Aha. And um, I actually got this Wolverine print. Ooh. But you put like a light behind it, or you put it in front of a window. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like painted on plexiglass. Okay. Or so, whoa, my, that was my stomach. Did you hear that? Was that no. you? That was my stomach. Wow. That lettuce that we just... <laughs> <laughs> wow. Because I ate one of them. I oh, salvaged one. You ate ahead of one. No, 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 no. I salvaged one where it was... I don't think it's... It was yeah. Half, <laughs> honest All way right. to liquefy. Is Andy going to have to run you to the... 
the hospital again. <laughs> but anyways, I'll show you next time so you can t- uh, you being the artist, you can look at it like it's really really neat. Cool. I only spent like 15 bucks on it or something. Nice. It wasn't oh. Yeah. I don't know if you saw that guy's table there. It was like you slide it's like it's he painted it on a um like um a projector sheet or something mm-hmm. and you slide it into a plexiglass holder thing. Mm-hmm. Oh nice. But I'll have to show you. It's hard to explain yeah, without yeah. looking at it. Well, I know things. exactly what he's talking about. Yeah. Uh, I've seen it. I, I've seen artists do this. It's it's crazy. It's basically it is. It's like a sheet of transparency plastic, mm-hmm. and they paint backwards. So they're layering Something, from yeah. the oh, from okay. the bottom up. So when you're looking at them, I've got to watch somebody do this at a con once, and it was it was fan- fascinating because. They're painting, and I'm like, it looks weird, and it looks odd, and he's he's like he's going in reverse. He's okay. He's doing the eyes first, and then he's putting the the, you know, like he was doing like a pumpkin or something mm-hmm. like that, and then he was doing the orange, and you know, and then when it was all said and done, he flips it over so you see the smooth side that would be the one that would be facing out in the light box, and then you're like, oh my god, yep. it totally makes sense now because it, it looks amazing from the front side. And then he's, when the paint's all dry, you put that in a light box, and light shines through. And I was so like, is it, this is the cool. The piece you bought original or print? It's original. Wow. Original. Really? Yeah. For 15 and it was 15? only 15 bucks, but he had a bunch of them. Like, Wow. He obviously wasn't trying to get rich, let's just say. Wow. <laughs> but I'll, I thought that you being yeah, the I'll, artist, I'd love to see it, yeah. you'll, you'll probably appreciate it. And thank you for... Describing it better than yeah. <laughs> oh, no, I just I, denied it. I wasn't trying was, to describe no, no, it. I was perfect, just though. I go, was going that. off of what I had seen. And I think was Mark really Hempel, cool. I think Mark Hempel did some comics that way. That's very yeah. possible. <clears throat> well, the book club has chosen its books. Uh, so I mentioned it in the live cast, but I definitely want to put it in the main cast. It was a tie this month. It is Kim Grimwood's replay, which uh, Professor Biggs has been trying to get uh, into the club for like a year. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, Mike Cole's The Armored Saint. Mm-hmm. Uh, so choose either one or both if you're getting freaky. And then join us on the 8th when the, or whenever you're finished. But it's the 8th. No one can talk about the book on the club page until then. Uh, I was going to read both books. Yeah. Of course. But apparently Replay doesn't have a digital version. Oh. Don't. And I, I read old it, school. I read it uh, years ago, like a decade ago. And of course, like most books, when I'm done with them, I send them to the used bookstore for credit right. or to the right. library, whoever will take the books. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I'm hesitant to buy it again. Yeah. For that reason. So I may not read replay. Uh, but I will say for those who are choosing the Armored Saint, it is more of a novella. It's about 200 pages. So not, not too huge. You can tell that Mike Cole has played some Warhammer in his life. <laughs> uh oh. Matt Uh-oh. was up to get a drink. Uh-oh. And I'm I back, said I'm Warhammer, and he just ran right back to the mic. It's that guy that plays Warhammer. Those of you familiar with Warhammer, you will see some homage to it. It's a fantasy story, but there's some 40K homage in there. But, uh, but that's all I'll say about, about that. It's a rich That's universe. All I got to say about it's that. But speaking of Warhammer, I mentioned yeah. the live cast that it's calling to me again, and it's calling to me a little differently than before. Oh, that's better. Because the last time I I, jo- I just was in it for the modeling, just paints and models. I did not care about the game at all. 
This time it's the game that's speaking to me, and I think it's because it is the 8th edition brand new version that was released last summer. And in it, they overhauled all the rules, simplified some of the things, especially the... uh, the magic system, the uh, psyker system that's in it that apparently got really convoluted in the last few versions. So the rules are what's appealing to me now, as well as the modeling and the painting, of course. Yeah, I've been watching a lot of stuff on YouTube, but it's also calling me to the Black Library, which is the novel publishing arm of Games Workshop. And this is where I butt heads with Games Workshop every single time, because... Games Workshop novel pricing is crap. Yeah, it's pretty bad. They are the most expensive books, especially when you're talking about multi-book series. Let's not forget Horace Heresy. Yeah, I know. We've mentioned over 45 novels so far. That's a retirement fund. (laughs) But I I was going based on what you said, Matt. Uh, Check out Eisenhorn. Uh, I want to, you know, because you're right. The world of Warhammer 40K is a richly developed, fascinating, dark science fiction war opera. The idea of this, the fact that there's this carcass of an emperor barely alive, that they have to sacrifice a thousand people a day to it just to keep it alive. And living in that world as a human being is the, the, the definition of hell. Speaking of the emperor there, it's funny because if they just let him die... The Emperor, uh-huh. you get rid of the Dark Elves, all of the psychic abilities of the uh, Eldar, and the Eye of Terror. <laughs> what's, the, what's the Eye of Terror? Where the chaos comes from. The, the, the chaos the, gods the, are in the Eye of Terror. And that's in the warp? Yes. Okay. So that's where they, the mouth of the Eye of Terror, come, that's where they launch their Black Crusades. So, Oh, um, wow. Abaddon and all those, all the fleets come through there. So all of the Imperial might is located around this uh, part of space. So everything wrong with yes. Warhammer 40k universe is this religious fervor about this mostly dead creature on a throne. Well, yeah, he's so he's one of the most powerful psychers in that universe. Like he's ridiculously powerful psychic abilities wise. So his death sends up like a death shockwave scream of psychic energy that will eradicate all those enemies that rely on corruption, psyker abilities, which are usually the bad guys, except for the Eldar. But because but, it's an uber, super, autocratic, religious... Yes, yes, and the Emperor protects, so we can't let anything happen to him. And oh, by the way, we just lost the Cadian Eighth Gate. Oh, well, whatever. The Emperor protects. <laughs> yes. Blah, 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 blah. Also, they believe that going through the warp, so the ships have what they call the Emperor's beacon. So they believe that the Emperor... You follow the Emperor's um, silhouette... Otherwise, you get lost in warp space. Oh, wow. The Imperium believes. So they think, oh, we'll never be able to man our outposts. We'll never be able to get from one side of the Imperium to the other if the Emperor dies. (laughs) So it's a flawed thinking. Yeah. As well as the religion. And just, yeah. Nerd. Emperor protects. Nerd. You you would enjoy If you actually delve into the lever. I'm impressed with your knowledge on this, man. No, you would enjoy it. Because there's something there for everybody. Yeah. Like, if you don't like the Imperium, go to the Chaos. If you don't like the Chaos and you want socialism, go, go to the Tau. <laughs> yeah. If you don't want that and you want, I don't know. Um, so you're saying you find out more about your friends than you want to in this game? Sure. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Oh, wow. Go with that. Yeah. So are you actually playing the game or are you just building armies? The plan is to get the game. I, it's not cheap. It never has been, never will be. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they released the box set last year. 
It contains two armies, uh, taller than usual space marines, like the better of the best space marines, and then a marine army called Death Eaters, which are follow the god Nurgle, which is a god of rot and plagues. Mm. And that's the army that appeals to me. Of course, if that it says does. anything about and those surprise, are, uh, those surprise. Are, those are chaos space marines. Of course, they are. Yeah. And so, so um, and, and the box contains the hardback book, which itself costs sixty bucks. So Major Mess says that he actually got you some uh, some figures. He's gotten some some armies over the years, and oh. we just assumed. Oh, he's, he said he gave them to you. Oh yes, yes, indeed, yeah. I do have. Yeah, they're in the model closet. Yes, in the model <laughs> closet. Okay. <laughs> yes. So yeah, I got some. I got some stuff to dig out as well. But going back to the Black Library, so I, I went with your suggestion of Eisenhorn. It's a good way. Of, it's an older book in the universe. Yes. There's the first three are considered some of the best fiction, and they re-released them a couple of years ago in new editions, but there's nothing added to them. They just put a new cover on it. Hardbacks, sometimes they give you dog tags and like other Imperium flag, things like that. But a while ago, the- they were selling the fir- first three novels in an omnibus, mm-hmm. uh, and that omnibus was like 17 18 bucks, something like that. I bought mine. Oh, I guess I can just, if I find it. Did you buy it? No, and I'll tell you why. So I went on to Kindle to find out how much that omnibus was. Kindle edition, $50. $50 for the digital edition. So it's only $10 less than the, the hard print? What? Didn't you just say no, it was $60 for the hard print? No, $18. For $18. The, oh, $18? Yeah. But you yeah. can't find it. What? Oh, that's why but it's a, $50. But if I... It's Kindle. There's nothing to find. No, no, no. The hardback or the the paperback. Oh, the paperback version. Oh, you could buy that for thirty. Yeah, but the, the Kindle, Kindle version 50. fifty. I know. Kindle fifty well, digital a, version. Something they don't have to print out. Something what? they can just hit copy paste. It probably paste. has something to do with it being like quote unquote I, no, out of print. No, and I'll, then, no. I'll tell you exactly what it is. Oh. It is because Black Library wants you to buy from them and not Amazon. That's exactly what it is. Because oh. they do sell them digital editions on their online site but i saw that the other day it's yeah. i think you can get the uh the triplet for 24 dollars. so why don't you just buy it on the online site and then put it on your kindle i thought about doing this but i'm so angry at the even the cost of 12 dollars a novel even though it's less than that if you get the triplet but even one ones beyond that for the digital edition for novels that came out in 2003 mm. yeah um no <laughs> no 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 and i and i wanted to ask you because i figured you had the eisenhorn set i do i gotta find it okay yeah, somewhere have, have time but somewhere. it was causing a problem last night because i really wanted to read something warhammer and i and i didn't want to read any of the rule books i didn't want to read you know source material i wanted to read a story and so you so, broke out the horse heresy no <laughs> i so but I didn't have any, so I just started going through my Kindle and I just finding books and just just like when a lawnmower doesn't start, when you just pull the handle, it just revs for a little bit. Mm-hmm. I would read a chapter or two and go, "This isn't working for me." I probably went through four books till I finally said, "Okay, I'm obviously just not in the mood for anything but Warhammer fiction right now." Yeah. So and you got to make sure Dan Abnett, Dan Abnett, Graham McNeil, yes, because some of the other they got some weak. Weak authors in the Black Library. In fact, if you want to get to know the Warhammer universe, I would recommend the first three Horace Heresy novels. Yeah. You don't even have to go beyond that. That is its own story. Three novels, one single story. The first two were Dan Abnett. Uh, the second one, Graham McNeil. 
Then the third one is Dan Abnett. I think the first so. one is the uh, Dan Abnett, yeah. So so if you if you're looking for a place to start, I know a Cthulhu collector was interested a while but a couple weeks ago. That's a good place to be. So yeah, that's kind of where I am. With where are you going to play it on the ceiling? No, um, uh, war games. Yeah, well, we'll just go meet at. Uh, oh, you'll meet somewhere else. Yeah, they okay. have all the scenery and everything. You just bring okay. your armies and play. Right. Hey, do you, uh, do you want a giant island? Because I can give you that. <laughs> I should have known it was coming. Trying to I'll put that on the ceiling. Did yeah. they give you back the props yes, that you did. made them? Yeah. And did you go? No, and beat them over the head. No, with I it? said I'll try and find a home for them, and if I can't find a home, I'll throw them away. Jesus, Andy, you gotta wow. stop doing stuff like that. Put them in case. Cool First, the kitten, Somebody now props. I, mean, I had uh, nothing to do with the kitten. The kitten just showed up <laughs> as a name, doesn't it? Yeah, it's but kit. Kit. It's, it's it's almost fully a pet now. Yeah. Wow. Killing me. My so, eyes are so, my eyes are oh, weeping. I'll bet. Yeah. <clears throat> but what a sweetheart. It is so cute. Got to take Benadryl every day. Apparently, I did it for uh, years. Or you could just get the cat to where it belongs. This, they're still trying. They're, they're still trying. So, they're they're so not heartless. trying. I know Kirsten. I know Andy. Oh, they wow. have adopted this thing. <laughs> he says you're not they doing just, it, liar. They just, they just, I'm not. They pretend Kirsten's like they're. Kirsten. He's got. I've seen the signs. He's he's falling in love. Yeah. yeah. You just have it no spot in your heart kitten. for an animal, do you? No. Not when they can't afford one. No. no. Okay. That's a good point. Yeah. yeah, animals are expensive. They're yeah. almost more expensive than children. But cats are not. But they're not more expensive than warhammer. So keep that in mind. Right. That's true. If this cat was made of pewter, there's, there's then... not much more that there's <laughs> not much that's more expensive than warhammer. There's very few things. But you can paint both. Yes. Yeah. But you only true. need to buy it one time. Right. <laughs> you know how long I've had my armies for? Like that's a good point. Twenty five years. Like, and you've never had to add anything and add anything and add anything. They work really. over translation, so yeah. okay. uh, unless you're feeling like you need to add the the new hotness to your army, which a lot of players do, mm-hmm. and they discontinue some models. So I have some rare ones that people want. That's a good point. Okay. Like you can make like what the hell is that? Oh, this is Chaos Lord circa nineteen ninety nine. Yeah. <laughs> Like a fine wine. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly like that. What else did you do this week, gentlemen? Played some games yesterday. What'd you play? Uh, we played uh, um, Codenames. Ah, fun. Actually, I, was, I, I got there in the middle of them playing Marvel Codenames, which is much harder than regular Codenames. Yes, because you have to know everything about Marvel right. to get it to work right. Yeah, yeah. No, the problem is linking. Linking these characters exactly. together and equipment. And whatnot, but I yeah, thought I was going to... And knowing s- that Mjolnir is a hammer. <laughs> I knew it was a hammer, but there was also <laughs> Thor, okay, Thor, uh-huh. and it didn't see hammer. And when I said Mjolnir, I was like, ah, oh, fuck! But the clue's out there. <laughs> and I said Mjolnir won, and he was like, oh, it's a hammer! And of course... <laughs> of course. Lucky. Yeah. Uh, I watched the Oscars. Did you? Really? Yeah. It's a good year for genre pictures in the Oscars. No, it made me feel bad at being a man. <laughs> Why? Like, holy fuck, man! They were like really. It's the, like it's, every single actress that came up to uh, to um, read an award was like, and who's the per- who's the director that did Lady Bird? Uh, Grit- Gretchen something, some female director. Okay, and they're like, here's this person and three other men. Here's the nominees, oh, and it's like, yeah. holy shit! Like these other three men aren't the guys raping and fondling and. As of right now, at this point, at this <laughs> well, point, as far as you know, it's it's a very complex issue. It's not just the fact that there's 
not any gender diversity or ethnic diversity in Hollywood. I know, it's but that they, it's still a very male-dominated industry. They're they, they still over, trying to. Yeah, well, they overdid it this year, and everybody played along, and it was almost cheesy to the point of. You know, sometimes you have to highlight a problem for people to realize mm-hmm. there's a problem. And don't and, get me wrong, I do not condone what those men no, did. God, oh, you're, not pro, you're not pro rape. No. Oh, good to know. I'm not pro rape. It's good to know. Bend over, Andy. I'll show you. All right. <laughs> but Shape of Water killed it, by the way. So, Right? Guillermo there. Guillermo. What? Guillermo. Weren't the Oscars on Sunday night? Yes, but I watched it um, Monday on Hulu. Oh, okay. So, same. Welcome to All the, the new surprises age. were gone. What? All the surprises were gone. All you got well, was, the, all you got was the lectures. No, I didn't read it. Oh. I didn't read any surprises or anything like that, but... So that's all I did from now until then, or till now. I, I played a little bit of uh, Ark Survival Evolved. Your computer runs that? No. Oh. But they released it on PlayStation 4. Yeah, on the PS4. Uh, I watched so, him play Ark Evolved. <laughs> he, he not only watched me play Ark, Ark Survival, he also watched me, join me in watching videos on how to play Ark Survival. Now, if you're not familiar, Ark Survival is one of those video games like uh, Day Z, uh, Seven Days to Die, where the whole point of the game is it's a multi uh, multiplayer game. Mm-hmm. But in these cases, most players don't work together; they work against each other, ah. and the environment is also out to kill you, and you will die. You will die lots and lots of times. And there's no real instructions for it except for what you decide to search out for yourself online by either watching other people play or their tutorials or going through wikis and such. Mm-hmm. And it's like Minecraft in the fact that it's a much deeper game underneath than what it looks like on the surface. And it's, I mean, it's hard to compare it to Minecraft because graphically they're day and night. Interesting. I felt bad because I kept asking him questions. He's like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> I guess since we're doing this, uh, what have you done this week? I mean, we didn't really talk about the uh, live show, so I guess I can I can point out that I wrapped up that friggin' movie. You finished yeah. the yeah, movie. We wrapped it at the, the nest. Yes, we finished up the nest uh, Thursday morning at 3 a.m. Basically. Yay! Yeah, and I got to I got to add another. Uh, Put another weird notch on my resume of things I I can claim I've, I have now. So I'm now a makeup artist. Oh, yeah. you uh, you pitched on that too, huh? I jumped in on because the real makeup artist was doing his amazing process prosthesia prosthesis. Okay, on one end of the actor, and we needed makeup on the other end of the actor. And I'm like, I can try it, and so I I did. I just dove in with this. It's wait, like wait, 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 a moment. Yeah, one end of the actor. Yes. Which okay, end so were you on? I was on the shoulders. Oh. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I'm glad you clarified. Yeah. Matt. No. No. She was on the knees. But yeah. Knees and shoulders. Sure. Yes. Okay. Yeah. What Didn't kind of... we just talk about how Hollywood has a problem and um, you said she was on her knees? No, no. She was on his <laughs> knees. Oh. oh. She was on his knees. Oh, okay. Yeah. His Actually, head. she was. That's, I, I shout out to Christine Montoya, who's an amazing uh, um, artist, a makeup artist, uh, does uh, um, uh, body paint stuff. And uh, it was great work with her. She was she's a person I've known for a couple of years, but always at a distance because you know she was, you know, I just like, oh well she's cool and she's over there, but she's way too cool for to talk to me. And we were working hand in hand on some of this stuff. There was one prop we actually literally it was a, it was a um, headband thing we were working on, and we were literally working on it at the same time, like four hands diving in working on this this thing all together. It was cool. 
movies. Yeah. Truly collaborative events. Yeah. Now, Andy, you and I have both worked on, on independent films. Yep. What would you say is the strangest title that you have in credits? Um, it's gone now. It used to be on IMDb. I used to be a stuntman on, on IMDb. That's this. Okay. Yeah. Mine was Propane Wrangler. Nice. I like Propane it. Propane Wrangler? I like it. <laughs> I, literally, what I did was... Propane Wrangler. I took a propane tank, and I filled a bunch of balloons with the propane, and then filled those balloons into a plastic trash bag. Mm-hmm. And when I would get down to almost having the trash bag full, I would put a squib in the last tra- or, excuse me, last balloon that I filled, mm-hmm. and then tie that up, and then put that in the the trash bag and what we were doing we was we were blowing up a car right and <laughs> as, since you can't well since since you can't actually physically blow up the car and we had to have the fire department why and everything not? on hand because it, it sh- shrapnel flying okay. and everything so we made it look like we're blowing up the car by igniting the fireball so right. from the right camera angles and at a distance it actually made the car look like it was blowing up how and dangerous it was that uh, <laughs> sounds pretty dangerous it what you were doing. What, what you I were doing. was doing. It wasn't dangerous until I started putting the squibs, squibs in. in. right. And we did, of course, keep the squibs far away from anything electrical, anything that might cause a spark. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, so that was the only part that ever made me nervous was getting that down to that last balloon that you're going to put in the bag. Mm-hmm. But it made a really awesome fireball. I mean, it completely mushroomed and everything at the top. It was pretty awesome. Nice. Now, did you put it inside the car? On yes. Once? Okay. Yeah. We, we, uh, the first time we did like, I want to say like 100 balloons, and, and the, it didn't give the fireball like we wanted, so the next time we stuffed every nook and cranny of the car with it, I think we were 250 or 270-something balloons. Mm-hmm. We had it stuffed in every nook and cranny, and that sucker went up. Really nice. Wow. 99 pretty, pretty Jeff's nice. balloons go boom. Yeah. Yes. Boom. But that's the weirdest thing I ever did. What was the Most movie? of the time I would do it. I can't remember the name of it now because I don't know that it, it was supposed to, they supposedly I had. I think they should call the movie Propane Wrangler. Just yeah. saying. Yeah. They had a, they were supposed to have a distributor for it and last I heard that fell through oh. and that was like 18 years ago. So yeah. I know the feeling well. Yeah. <laughs> if only that happened to the, my, my friend Doug Citizen was, was, uh, was a third lead. I mean, there was the he's the third name on the credits of a movie that actually got picked up by Troma to distribute. Nice called The Creep, and uh, I own this movie, and uh, it is so bad. That even though very very good friend Doug is like I say third one name down the list, I've only seen ten minutes of it. That's it all. That's all right, man. Painfully bad. Don't, like don't, don't get me wrong. There's some fun, good trauma stuff out there, but there's a lot of dreck. Yeah. Isn't there, a, there, there was a movie that was worked on by a bunch of Trek people that got distributed and like there's a oh, tape floating geez. around and I it's just t- unwatchable. I have the tape somewhere, yes. I remember watching it with you and we were just both like, like just turn it off. I can't remember his last name. His first name was Ed. He, he, this, he got some money together, wrote this script and directed this film. Uh, it was a, kind of like a... Over a, spy- a course of like a year and a half, yeah, right? A, a spy like- thriller of some yeah. sort. And oh, it's and it features so like all good. Trek answers uh, actors rather. And it's, oh my word, I forgot it's, about that movie. Uh, yeah, it's it's somewhere in that. this collection, but yeah, it's it's unwatchable. I finally got to see the video I've been waiting for years to see from Star Trek, 
the uh, the uh, guy who uh, kidnapped the show. Oh, oh the guy that that was in the Starfleet. Yes. Outfit? Yeah. Oh, there's video of that. Yes. Oh, I didn't even know. That, I didn't that. know there was video yeah. of it either. I knew there was video, but I just never seen. I it. I remember when it happened. I remember people talking about it. Yeah. Well, do you explain it? Because I wasn't there. Uh, I well, I, I was working in the restaurant, so I'm only hearing secondhand. Kirsten's probably the best person to tell the story, but, but um, not here. Apparently, at some point when they did the show, somebody, uh, a fan, dressed up in Starfleet and had been on the sh- the ride so many times, he had the lines memorized. So <laughs> when no, no, I guess the script is out there. I guess you guys sold the script. Well, this the was end. before the the script was out there. Okay. This this particular person, and like I said, I I wish Kirsten was here because I I guarantee he would tell the story better. It's not like it's a massive script, but they had memorized the lines when the room flew when they when the they beamed the the uh, the visitors up. This person stepped out and started doing the Anson Thomas lines. Right, they had an overcoat on, so they, they th- that his uh, his accomplice yeah. grabbed. So he threw off his coat, so you could then and under had under the coat he had. The so thing. is it his accomplice that filmed it? Yes, I out, guess out, so. of, out of like a. Gym See, bag. I didn't I didn't know about this. I didn't know there was an accomplice, and I didn't know the accomplice filmed this. Yeah. So now I, I'm I'm fascinated. I would love to see this. I missed what you said. He, the accomplice filmed it out of like a gym bag or something. Okay, had like a bag, a shoulder right. bag or something. So it's like a hole in a camera, a hole in the bag. So so this person and and to their credit, the actors just let him go. You know, because they didn't want to ruin the the experience you, for everybody else. You know what? That sign of good improv yeah. actors, right uh, there. Overall, he got through quite a bit of the ride before uh, some somebody security, came through and security. I believe pulled him off at, right after security they got Chief to the Eddington grand came up and grand corridor. That sounds about right because yeah. they Cause, that would have called in from the transport well, room. There were there was hidden corners in there and there's like hidden exits, so you, they could have you know as the other people are being led to the shuttle bay, they could just take him around the corner and out. Sure. And that's where the real danger is, is, yeah. in, is the shuttle bay area. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, one of the actors I worked with, for goodness sakes, got crushed by the door oh, in that place. Yeah. Wow. So, Poor guy. Yeah, he. I mean, he survived, but he was terribly injured. Mm. Which, by the way, that reminds me, I saw him at April's party. He told me to tell you hi. Oh, and okay. I, it totally slipped my straw, mind. Like... <laughs> <laughs> no, no, he's he's fully recovered. I mean, as much as you can from having your legs hey, how completely are you, crushed. Beep, beep. Did you guys know? <laughs> Speaking of accidents at work, do you guys know Caw closed down because the stage crashed into the rest of the stage? Recently? When did, when did this happen? A couple weeks ago. Last week. No, I last haven't week. heard You're this. Right. Last week. You're right. Okay, back up. Caw shut down because the stage crashed into the, the, the audience? The, no, the, the, the rotating part crashed into the edge of the thing. So they. Yeah, there's like a there's like a fixed portion of the stage in the front, mm-hmm. and then there's the platform stage that is that moves on, around on the big yeah. oh, hydraulic arm. Thing. Yeah, right. Apparently, it crashed into the front part from what from what he's telling me. Right. So the CW is like had a, like a surprise game night over at uh, yeah. K's because they all the have all the time in the world right now. Oh my word! So is it still down? I didn't yeah. know this. I wow. didn't. I didn't know this either. Oh, it's, wow. It's back up now. It's back up. Okay. But yeah. Okay. But it was back up. It was off for like a week and a half or so. Yeah, that that show's having some massive failures. Mm. Well, it's complicated. All those circuits. It is absolutely, and it's it's the oldest of the circ shows on the strip that have. um, No, actually, isn't isn't Mister is the oldest, but it's the the oldest that has like the complicated hydraulics and stuff because Mister is Mister is like classic Cirque du Soleil. It's got some of that stuff, but it doesn't have the elaborate stuff that Ka has. I think Ode I think Ode predates Ka. I could be wrong. 
Yeah, I was gonna say I thought O was first. And o, o had O had its problems too. One time the uh, tank drained. Mermaids came in. What? No, no, oh. the, the the water got fouled. Something. Some, <laughs> Someone threw a Mister. <laughs> no, like a oil. baby Ruthie. Did oil. somebody leave? Oil. The, did somebody leave the lettuce in the tank? No, somebody, somebody, <laughs> some something broke loose and the tank got filled with oil. So the water was all contaminated with oil, and which oh, you can't have people swimming in. No, that's you know you can't. Yeah. One of the actors had diarrhea or something. <laughs> oh yeah, that'll and, and you oh. gotta drain the whole thing. It's you a just... baby Ruth, people. Oh, it's a yeah. baby Ruth. <laughs> a liquid lettuce baby Ruth. <laughs> <laughs> Anything else you do this week, gentlemen? That's all I can think of. That's all right. That's all right. Because I got news still. I got good. so much news. Oh, good. Is oh, it news we don't give a shit about? You bet it is news Yay! you don't give a shit about. Wait, no. Ah. Bald Andy likes news Damn you it. don't give a shit about. He got you me. again. <laughs> he doesn't know what to do anymore. I'm <laughs> so confused. All right. Oh, this one. Welcome back to the 90s, folks. After President Donald Trump mused that violent video games could have been a key factor in the school <laughs> shooting in Parkland, Florida. Oh, you're dicking me. Reps from the... What? Oh, you're dicking me. <laughs> well, I thought he said, put your dick in me. <laughs> That's <laughs> what I thought he heard, I heard him say, too, but I'm like, okay. I was like, you must have turned him on earlier, yeah. Matt, because... Uh... <laughs> oh, God. Now, now I'm being chipped with you and top of being chipped with cursing. Damn. Damn. <laughs> Trip, okay. trip, 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 toy. Reps from the gaming industry will head to a meeting at the White House for a more detailed discussion. The exact lineup of attendees on Thursday's meeting is not set, but it could include execs from major publishers and developers. The Entertainment Software Association confirmed a meeting today after saying last week it had not received an invite despite indicators from the uh, chief White House spokesperson, Sarah Huckabee Sanders. Quote, we have, I, I, oh boy, I, I, I have, I have to quote Trump here. Oh no, I'll do, I'll do my best. You don't have to. I'll, I'll do my best Trump voice. Okay. All right, we're bracing for it. All right, here we go. We have something to do about maybe what they're seeing and how they're seeing it. Trump said during a briefing on school safety held in the wake of February 14th shooting. I'm hearing more and more people say the level of violence on video games is really shaping young people's thoughts. The ESA rejects the oft-recycled notion that video games are directly linked to real-world violence. In a statement, the ESA staked out its position, quote, Video games are plainly not the issue. Entertainment is distributed and consumed globally, but the U.S. has an exponentially higher level of gun violence than any other nation. The upcoming meeting at the White House, which ESA will attend, will provide an opportunity to have a fact-based conversation about video game ratings, our industry's commitment to parents, and the tools we provide to make informed entertainment choices, unquote. Looking for the scapegoat for the real problem. Yep. yep. It's not like they haven't tried this before, and yep. it's not like there's tons of books and studies that have been done that disprove this connection between violent video games and school shootings. Man. But hey, we just got to keep rehashing everything that we hear and see on TV. The global argument is really it. Yeah. They play the same j games throughout Europe, yeah. Japan. You're telling me it's a reimagining? <laughs> uh, it's the same thing they did with, with television know, back in the too. day. Rock and, and rock and roll. Well. You know, it's like, oh, television's bad. It's like, well, yeah. If you, use, least... if you use the television as your babysitter... And you don't sit down with your kids and just, you know, explain to them what they're seeing and, you know, 
educate them on fact versus fantasy and at least this is something all both sides stuff. can agree on video games are bad but yeah the <laughs> lunatic left and the lunatic right both agree video games cause all problems <laughs> take that gamergate yeah <laughs> speaking oh and by the way yeah. oh yes drop dead trump man very good i'm sorry the great trump Thank you. Yeah, I, I thought, I've, I've been working. You've on been it. working on that one. Yeah, yeah. it's, you know, it's fine tuning it. it. Fine tuning yeah. it. Uh, speaking of reimaginings, oh no, the Crow remake oh. with Jason Momoa, most likely the main star, has a release date: October eleventh, twenty nineteen. Sony picked up the movie in September after it had passed through numerous studios, directors, and stars. English director Corin Hardy, who directed The Hollow and The Nun, uh, The Hollow is actually a pretty decent film, is expected to take the helm. The, re, re, uh, the film will be remade, will be a remake of the, of course it is, the 1994 original from Dark City and iRobot director Alex Proyas. It tells the story of a young man, Eric Draven, and his girlfriend, Shelley Webster, who are br- brutally murdered on Halloween night. One year later, the man returns. His soul brought back from the underworld by a crow to exact revenge on the gang that killed them. Gritty and dark, the crow was elevated to beloved cult classic following the death of Lee, who was accidentally shot and mortally wounded in the abdomen by a prop gun on the set. The remake will reportedly be more faithful to the adaptation of James O'Barr's 1989 comic of the same name. Mm. Okay. I enjoy me some crow, but... I do too. But you know what? I got a feeling it's going to be better than any of the sequels. Sure. Not that that's Not a high hard. bar. Not hard. Yeah. Yeah. And Jason Momoa, he's a good actor. He, he, he is. He can do he's, it. He does. He's not at all like the Eric Draven is in the comic. The Eric Draven in the comic is kind of weedy. Yeah, it's very thin. Yeah, yeah that heroin chic thin. Yeah. Yeah. So that that's kind of the thing that's like, Momoa, really? Yeah. Is he going to keep the beard? I'm, Who knows? Th- doesn't seem I mean, crow-like, but... Yeah. He's had that beard for so long, Exactly. Though. That's why I can't see him shaving it. Yeah. It's tattooed on. Okay. It's, see, it makes sense, that. Yeah. I'm not looking at, at fur. I'm looking at yeah. ink. Okay. Plus, I, isn't... Like, he's got some Hawaiian ancestry, so I don't know if, yeah. like... There's a lot of stuff about, you know, cutting your hair and trimming your beard and stuff, so I don't know if that plays into why hmm. he looks for roles that allows him to keep that or not, but... That's something I did not know about. I didn't either. I, yeah. just, I, I learned I, something today. I remember seeing I'm starting to have my doubts about that. I think I know, a lot of Hawaiian, I know a lot of beardless you know Hawaiians. You know what? With well, today's... I don't, I don't know this for a fact. I just... What I've been... I've seen like on TV shows and stuff. Okay. But I'm talking like, you know, reality stuff where... Like this one I saw where this guy was going into the army and they wanted him to... You know, cut his ponytail and stuff. Wow. He was trying to use the. Uh, yeah, well, no, he was talking about this is, you know, this is a tribal thing with, you know, my Hawaiian ancestry, yada, yada, yada. So, again, I could be way off if I'll, there's any, any of our fans that are. I'll bet we'll get an email. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I, can, I can almost guarantee it. And mahala plenty ahead of time. It could have been played up for the show. I don't know for sure. A reality show exaggerating things? No. I know, no, right? No, no, no. But listen, if Justice League has taught us anything, Hollywood is great at taking away facial hair. So we right. know mm-hmm. he doesn't have to shave it. They've got the tools. Yep. They've got the talent. All right. So no more talk about remakes or 
Good. Oh, except for this one. God damn it. A new team is being given a shot at bringing William F. Nolan and George Clayton Johnson's 1967 novel Logan's Run to the screen again. Oh, <laughs> you know what? That could be done better. This might work. This might work. Yeah. The book in the original 1976 movie centered on Logan Five, a Sandman who is assigned to terminate anyone who tries to escape mandatory execution at the age of 21. When he hears rumors of a place called Sanctuary where runners can escape and live longer, he initially sets out to destroy it, but soon becomes a runner himself. The writer now assigned to the project is Peter Craig, who wrote the scripts for The Hunger Games, Mockingjay, Parts 1 and 2. Uh, the new director is Simon Kinberg, who's making a debut behind the camera this year for X-Men Dark Phoenix, but served as a writer and or producer of most of Fox's Marvel-related projects, including almost every past mm. and, frankly, future X-Men movie, the Legion TV series, the t- 2015 Fantastic Four, and Deadpool, before that last one throws you off. He also penned a treatment for Logan's run himself three years ago, but was not in the mix at the time to direct. The original 1976 Logan-run film starred Michael York and diverged significantly from the novel, raising the age of death to 30, amongst other things. I was going to say, I remember the movie was 30. Uh, Development on a remake began in the mid-1990s. Wow. So this has been in forever development. What year was the original one, you said? 76? I think so, yeah. Yeah. There was a short-lived TV series, too, if I remember. It was short-lived and should have been. Yeah, I never saw the TV series. Oh, I just remember it was it existed. I didn't even know that it, it opens existed. up with them knocking down a wall and finding a solar powered car. So that gives them an excuse to drive around in their solar powered car through the whole thing. <laughs> well, you, you gotta, yeah, you gotta have. When when was the the TV show? Still the seventies, uh, or is it the eighties? Maybe early eighties. Okay, so at that point, you needed a gimmicky car, right? Yeah, so that makes sense. The A team has the van. It was about the same time. I think there was General a Lee. Planet of the Apes uh, series. I heard about that one. Yeah. All right. All right. So that's okay. I liked the movie. It, it, you know, it was a fine movie, but I could, I could see them. It's definitely on dated. It, it yeah. could definitely be done better now with modern mm-hmm. effects. And I'm not just talking like CG. I think, you know, even modern practical effects You're would, right. this would outshine some of the. This one's ripe for a reimagining. Mm. So, so that's all I got to bring up about reimaginings. News you don't give a shit about a reimagining. And this one, this one, I, I don't even know why this has happened. No wonder I don't remember the TV series. It's set 1977. So this is right after the movie came out. Oh, wow, they did wow. the TV series quick. Logan's Run. You got to capitalize. You got to capitalize. Right? Do you remember the, the 1996 time? relationship thriller Fear? No. Nope. In this movie, Reese Witherspoon plays a teenage girl who meets a seemingly perfect guy played by Mark Wahlberg. Oh, that one. Yes, that one. As the relationship progresses, he becomes dangerously obsessed with her, and a darker side is revealed as everything becomes unhinged, and he goes crazy on her and her family. So you could say it was a dark Wahlberg. Wow. Actually, I I kind of appreciate that one. Thank you. (laughs) Universal Pictures is now developing a reimagining of the film with straight out of Compton co-writer Jonathan Herman, who will write the script. Brian Grazer, the producer of the original film, will also come back to produce this remake. The new take on the film is being kept under wraps, but apparently the story will be told from a female perspective. Not quite sure Mm. that means whether they're switching the roles or... 
who knows and frankly who cares <laughs> here's the thing fear is such a generic thriller it really is it's it's like all it's the lesser of all the ones that came before it's a, a fatal attraction single white female all of these it's so goddamn formulaic and everything that happens in that movie is predictable it it doesn't do anything new it doesn't have any any like ooh what a twist Moments. It literally it plays out exactly like you think it's going to play out all the way to the end. So why does fear have so much cachet instead of just going? Let's just write a brand new. Uh, it it comes down obsession to, thriller. It comes down to why Hollywood does remakes at all. It's they they play on a certain amount of nostalgia. To have a built-in audience and then now, I, roll that I into the new movie. Fear money. made money. Fear made money. It did. It made money. I remember people going to see it in the theaters, and I remember going, I think I'm going to wait till it comes out I on saw video. it in the theater. Did you really? Yes, I did. And I laughed so hard in that movie because that, that Mark, probably inappropriate. Mark Wahlberg was not ready for the big time yet no, at oh this my. point. That was one of his first roles. In fact, I almost suggest watching, because Reese Witherspoon is good. She's She's... Young actress, but she's very good at that time still. So you're saying it's not so much a Mark Wahlberg film as a Marky Mark film? Yes. Okay, interesting. And there is there is one scene, those of you who've seen Fear know what I'm going to talk about, where she is looking at him through the peephole in the doorway, and his performance on the other side of that door is absolute drecky gold. It's fantastic to watch. Mm. I... I I think I actually rented the movie afterwards so I could show people that scene because wow. it's just so damn funny. But it's on YouTube now. We don't it's, yeah, exactly. So you could go to YouTube, fear fear doorway scene. Somebody's put it up. They've had to have because it's... I wonder if Rift Tracks has done a thing. Oh, like man. But again, is it, why remake such a generic thriller? That Why is, do they think fear made us... Eighty million dollars in nineteen ninety six. Surely it can do that again twenty two years later. It also, might be that the license is about to lapse. The license for the Fear expanded universe. No, no, no. As far as like the ownership of the, after usually typically about twenty years, you know, give or take, they lose you know the rights to the script. It usually reverts back to the author. Oh, you're saying that that's... I think it's them trying to see if they can squeeze some more money out of it. And then while it's still somewhat right, in, the, the, in the zeitgeist of the, the movie-going audience... Wouldn't they have to pay the author again? The memory? Yes. Okay. But they wouldn't... But they would... Well, to be they a new would author. negotiate it. Okay. They, they would they, renegotiate it. And also, if they turn it back over to the... If they lose the rights, it goes back to the author. The author can shop it around to other studios. All right. Would you like to remake my generic thriller? <laughs> and who knows maybe the original script wasn't as generic we don't know we don't know what the original script was that's like that's a fine point that's a fine point but I'm just saying it is a generic picture made golden by food, one yeah. man's performance generic Very picture studio produced film I like, I like the idea of there being a movie studio called generic pictures <laughs> alright we can geek that's enough of those thank god Yay! the flash movie 
has officially found his director. We, we brought that this was probably going to happen a couple months ago. Now it's official. John Francis Daly and Jonathan Goldstein confirmed this week the writing director duo, duo are behind such projects as Horrible Bosses, Spider-Man Homecoming, and more recently Game Night. Uh, the Flash movie, based on Jeff Johns' famous Flashpoint story arc from 2011, the project was originally going to be directed by Phil Lord and Chris Miller, who did the Lego movie. Quote, the character is unique from other superheroes that he doesn't completely have his shit together like Superman does. It's more of a ground-level superhero, unquote, Goldstein said in February. Uh, Daly added that Barry Allen, much like Peter Parker, is a lot more relatable than other superheroes, having stolen the show in Justice League. Uh, Flashpoint is scheduled for release in 2020. We'll find Barry, again played by Ezra Miller, traveling to an alternate timeline where the Earth's greatest heroes are lost and scattered. The screenplay was written by Joby Harold, uh, the producer of Edge of Tomorrow. Based on IMDb casting information, Billy Crudup, Gal Gadot, Ray Fisher will all reprise their roles of Henry Allen, Wonder Woman, and Cyborg, respectively. And Ben Affleck is also expected to appear as Batman. Affleck. All right. So this, this could be They found some directors again. Hopefully these two stick. It could be interesting. Because this yeah. has gone through some directors already. It's weird that they're describing Flash as being the uh, not having a shit together thing. And then, you know... Back before Crisis, Flash was, you know, Mr. Ten and Two. He was a superhero who actually could handle being a superhero and having, you know, a marriage and that kind of stuff. That's and, true. Yeah. But that's certainly not how they played no. the Justice League. Nope, not at all. Kid who figured some stuff out. All right. He wasn't right. ready for it. But uh, you know what? Again, that's pr- it was probably my favorite part of Justice League. Yeah, So absolutely. I'm actually kind of looking forward to this movie. Yep. That, those eyes, like, oh, shit, you can see me. Fuck. <laughs> yep. Well. <laughs> And, and going back to your joyful moment, Matt, of the week, uh, it was a big night for genre films in the 90th Academy Awards. Academy of Awards. Academy of Awards. It's my favorite Academy. Yes. The Shape of Water won four awards, including Best Picture. Guillermo del Toro took some home, uh, the statue of Best Director. It also won for both production design and original score. Horror film Get Out made history with writer-director Jordan Peele grabbing the award for Best Original Screenplay, making him the first African-American to win the category. Blade Runner 2049 grabbed two awards, including visual effects as well as cinematography, for Roger Deakins, who before this year had 14 nominations in the category without a win. Wow. Wow. So 14 times. Now he has finally won. Always a bridesmaid, never a bride. I'm so upset I didn't see that in theater. Because yeah, I was watching be. some of that. Those, what, Blade Runner? Yeah, 2049. It was really just for the visually visuals, stunning. Just for the visuals. Yeah. Oh, it's visually stunning. I'm, a, I'm upset I still haven't seen Shape of Water because I'm, I'm getting spoilers now in the memes. So I'm like, eh. <laughs> sure. I think I think what impressed me the most with Blade Runner was coming to find out that they did a lot of, uh, not just CG, they did a lot of practical model work mm. for it. And they did that blending of the two to try to make it seamless. So. Uh, that in and of itself. I love when they still do model work because there's so yeah. few productions that even do that and anymore. And it looks better, like honestly, on, on screen, I think. It depends. To a point. It like, depends. With sci-fi, I guess. The problem with uh, a lot of CG these days is it's so mi- so much in demand that they have to farm out not just to one yeah, or two. Yeah, I, yeah, I mentioned like, it on this show. You know, they yeah, farm it out to far so. too many studios. They don't have enough time to complete it in the schedule for the movie. So you get some crappy CG. If they have the time and they have the money, 
they can put out some really good CG that will, you know, trick you into thinking it's a it's a practical model. Yeah, but so, it's always best in tandem. Yeah. It's best to yes. have physical things yes, for the absolutely. actors to relate to around in their surroundings. Yep. And then fill in the background or, of course, the large things that could not exist. Well, that's that's kind of J.J. Abrams' take on it, which is why he did that with uh, Force Awakens, uh, did that with Star Trek. Um, Can you imagine acting and being in front of a green screen the whole time and just trying to imagine where you're at? That was no, one of the I big mean, problems with the prequel trilogy. Yeah. yeah. It was like, all green screen. All of it. That would be weird as an actor. Oh yeah, they, they, there's lots of behind-the-scenes videos about actors talking about like you're standing in front of a 30-foot tall green screen, and there's a golf ball or a ping-pong ball, something like that, on the wall. Sometimes it's a tennis ball just hanging there, and that's supposed to be your eye line. So you're staring at this. If you're lucky, it's on a pole that someone can move it. Yeah. Mm. So you're staring at this, and then trying to pretend that you're talking to a person. And does not always work well. Some people need that. Some actors need that back and forth. Some people need the real dragon in order to talk to. And they just need a <laughs> performer to play off of. I mean, well, I, I I'm not an actor, so I can't speak to this. What do you think, Todd? Are oh, as, you... as an actor, I definitely react better to a real dragon. Yeah. No, I meant to just you know having wow. <laughs> having a an actual interaction versus versus pretending that you're interacting with someone or something. Of course, it's if you you're going to be someone's reading those lines off off screen. Sure. During that and not necessarily the actor that is playing that role. Right. In some of these cases, especially where budgets are a little bit slashed. Yeah, you usually have you're a, getting a somebody who's a PA. Not a PA, it's but like Andy from catering. But there's <laughs> get some, up there, read this. <laughs> there there is someone there who is has the script in hand. And they are the ones that are making sure that all the everything's being followed yeah. wordwise. AD or the script. Sometimes they are the ones who read the lines. Right. If you're lucky, it's Andy Circus. If you're really lucky, yeah, if Andy Circus is is the well, go-to guy, that's that's what that's why uh, smoke uh, Snoke smoke it, Snoke Snoke on the water Snoke yeah. in in uh, the Last Jedi was so different. They said that. Oh, circus thought... was on circus was on set reading the lines and so they had to change the way the character looked to try to match his vocalizations of the lines mm. yeah if you so. had the actor there off stage that certainly helps but right. it's always better to go face to face to react to that you 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 you, you lose something you, it's the best actor will tell you just person reading, across just from reading you lines makes to a blank it so screen. much better yeah I mean, good actors can make it work, obviously, right. but it's always better with another face. A little sadness, David Ogensters mm-hmm. died at the age of 75. He's been battling can- uh, bladder cancer, to which he succumbed at his home in Newport, Oregon. Uh, Steer's orig- early credits include stage and screen roles as early as 1970s for The Magic Show, The Mary Tyler Moore Show, and Charlie's Angels. In 1977... He was cast as Major Charles Emerson Winchester III in the popular army show MASH. He starred in this role for six years and 131 episodes. Uh, His genre-related roles in the coming years were Todson in the psychological horror movie Magic in 1978, uh, Leonard Mead in Ray Bradbury's theater episode The Pedestrian in 89, uh, Timkin in... Timison. Timison. Really? Timison? 
in uh, in no, Star Trek Timson. The Next Generation. I'm missing an I then. Timson, Timison, in the Star Trek The Next Generation episode Half a Life in 91. He was really good in that. And the voice of Cogsworth in Disney's animated Beauty and the Beast. Oh, you're missing the most important one. What's that? Dr. Jumba in uh, Lilo and Stitch. Oh, that's right. He was in yeah. that. Yeah, that's right. He's, only, he's a monster, only little one. And yes. uh, Biggs pointed out that he was the Martian Manhunter in the Never He was the Martian uh, Manhunter. Oh, that's right. Yeah. And that was, was that a movie or a TV show? It was a TV show. TV show, show okay. that never, never aired. In the 90s? I believe so. Wow. Yes. Full on makeup and everything. Yeah, that, that episode of Next Gen is one of the ones that I remember vividly. Because not only is his performance great, but it really brought out Majel Barrett Roddenberry's performance because her character was in love with him and was, you know, just frustrated that this society, you know, kills them when they reach a certain age so that they're not a burden upon their families. And Mm. the fact that he wanted to continue living and spend time with her and ended up, you know, finally relenting and returning to the planet, even though she didn't want him to. It It was just a powerful episode mm. and also producer benjamin melnicker died monday in roslyn harbor new york at age 104 wow so he did just fine thank you very much yeah. your oval team kids <laughs> melnicker <laughs> wow. got his start working in mgm in 1939 wow Worked his way up through the studio, eventually becoming executive vice president and chairman of the film selection committee. He was behind a number of important film deals at the company, including Stanley Kubrick's 2001 A Space Odyssey. But in 1979, Melnicker and his producing partner, Michael uh, Uslan, made a decision that would forever change their careers. They bought the film rights to the Batman comic book series. Uh, Uslan was a lifetime fan of Batman, so it was a passion project. They made a deal with a production company that was bought and packaged and eventually made its way to Warner Brothers' hands. The pair had only limited input in the original uh, Batman, the uh, Tim Burton one. Okay. Mm -hmm. Uh, And didn't have a say in any of the other Batman films, but... Can't blame him for bat nipples, then. That's right. But Melnicker and Uslan's credits appear in around... you You need to chill. Oh, stop. (laughs) The chilling sound of your score. To this day, it hurts. (laughs) To this day, I've never seen it. That's good. To this day, it was the one time I was so glad Patrick Stewart didn't get a role. Mm. I paid a dollar to see in the theater. I overpaid. I was like, I I remember being upset when Schwarzenegger got cast when Stewart had reportedly gotten the role, and then they said, oh, no, let's cast a bigger actor. And I remember seeing that movie and just going, Thank God he did not wind up in this steaming pile of shit. Uh, and of course, at the time, I was one of the biggest problems that I had with it at the time, and probably still sticks to this day, is I was still very much a Batman reader of comics yep. and very much into the continuity. And so when they threw Bane in there as this kind of sidekick to Ivy, and it's just, yep. and besides all the goofball camp. I had no yeah. idea Bane was even in it. Yeah. yeah. He, 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 was, he, he really was a, is. Bane really isn't. It's some yeah, other thing he's called Bane. Bane in name only. He was, he had really no mind of his own. He was just kind you of, know? he was just the muscle for, for Ivy. Yeah. He pumped and, himself full of drugs, made him strong and got to punch a Batman. And, and that was she, his purpose. she pumped him full of drugs. It wasn't oh, him right. doing it to himself. Yeah. yeah so uh, he was just kind of this mumbler. 
And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, wow. Yeah, he, he, he just mumbled. He didn't even talk. Nope, had he, no he line. He did look like the anime Bane, though, like from the 90s. Yeah, it, the, the, the look. Yeah. What, like in some of the early production stills, I was like, yeah. ooh, it's Bane. And then you get to see the movie, and you're like, it's uh, not Bane. <laughs> Which I realize what I just said there. What? Anime 90s and the movies in the 90s. So it's like, it really doesn't matter. But yep. <laughs> looks like Bane from the anime. There we go. There you go. Batman, Batman the animated, animated, animated series. Yeah. Animated series. Which is still amazing. Yeah. So Metal Gear and Uslan's credits appear on around 40 Batman titles. Ranging from Christopher Nolan's Batman trilogy to the Lego Batman movie to directed DVD animated films. In addition to getting credit on every Batman film, pretty much for all time. Uslan and Melnicker produced other comic book adaptations, including Swamp Thing, Constantine, and The Spirit. Wow. They were involved Two in The Spirit. Two out of three spirit. ain't bad. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> say, nope. One out of three ain't bad, now I think of it. The Swamp Thing was not great. No, it wasn't. But so which one you like? It was special at its time, though. Out of those three. Now, you're talking Swamp Thing and not Return of Swamp Thing with, with was it Heather Locklear, yeah, right? Yeah, Swamp Thing was not great. The, the one with Arya no. Barbeau was not great. I, I, I but saw it, it wasn't. It wasn't horrible. It wasn't like the worst thing ever. No, it wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't. Uh, Reb Salinger, Captain America, bad. No, oh, God. I, I did see it in the movie theater though. As a kid, I loved it. Give uh, me the three again. What was, what was the three there? The, the Constantine, Swamp Thing, and the Spirit. Constantine had was not the right. That's the one I liked. The, the, those three. It was not. Yeah. It was not. There were a lot of mistakes made, but at least it was The spirit was there. Yeah, the spirit was there. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, they, they tried. Whereas just... in the spirit, uh, there's another one I actually own and have not watched through more than 10 minutes of it. I think the spirit's bad. It's awful. Keanu Reeves was just not the right casting for that. No. And, no. and that's and not to say he's not a good actor. He really is a good actor. It just, I, the feel was off. Right. For him in that role. The Spirit is another one of those all green screen movies. Yes. So that that, that teaches you anything. Um, but then again, so is 300. That's pretty good. And right. so is um, uh, Sin City. The, the first, first one. one. Which is, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A Dame to Kill For is just not good. No. 20th Century Fox's planned superhero <laughs> projects, including several secret ones, are moving forward. Full steam ahead. A previously unannounced Silver Surfer solo film, nice, reportedly scripted by Saga and Why the Last Man creator Brian K. Vaughn. Even nicer. Right. Ooh. Is, quote, going 100 miles per hour, unquote, the Hollywood Reporter writes, while Channing Tatum's Wobegon and directorless Gambit film has a budget and a new script draft coming in March. Meanwhile, New Mutants is supposedly adding a new character with reshoots and will premiere next year. Fox is developing as many superhero properties as possible now that they found greater success with their R-rated flicks. Right. According to a Fox insider quoted by The Hollywood Reporter, we actually have way more in development and production in Marvel IP than at any point in the history of the studio. There's been zero slowdown on that front, unquote. Some of these films are far off, like Legion showrunner Noah Hawley's Doctor Doom movie, uh, this is all bet hedging, given the possibility that the Disney merger could be struck down or fall apart at the last minute. Mm-hmm. So they're still moving straight ahead with, well, what frankly works now. All right. So if the Disney merger happens, this will all be shuffled together into something different. Probably. Possibly. Depends. Does this, does this still happen when somebody else takes over a studio that, that all the projects that are in production die? Depends on the level of production. Okay. If it's, if you know, if it's casting has been done, nothing's stopping it. 
Okay. You know, if there's a direct, if there's just a director and a script in place, that could stop. But if it's cast, it's it's pretty much done okay. at that point. And especially and if production started, unless they're like, nope, this ruins everything. Right. They're not going to shut it down. Right. But the stuff that's in faraway development, like the Doctor Doom movie, it's probably not going to happen. Not in that way, anyway. Right. Which is, of all those listed, if they actually go, you know, if they don't use the Doctor Doom from the uh, recent uh, Fantastic Four. I can Four, guarantee they're not. Good. <laughs> uh, if they, uh, there was a pretty good Doctor Doom short series. It was like, ah. it was like Marvel supervillains. Mm-hmm. Where, where, where was the, the supervillains? Where it was like our supervillain team up, something like that. That was interesting, you know, because they, they were the protagonists, although not the heroes, obviously. I'll tell you what. As far as villains go in the Marvel Universe, Doctor Doom's probably my favorite. Yeah, he's, he's complex. Oh, except for Thanos. Thanos takes number one. But Doctor Doom Thanos is, is probably too complex. No, he's not. No. No, he's not. But I Doctor Doom is a fascinating character. Yeah, absolutely. Children of Time. The sci fi novel by author Adrian Tchaikovsky is headed to the big screen through Lionsgate. Not through a lion's gate. Oh, yeah. Okay, that's good. (laughs) The novel, which will be adapted for the screen by Colby Day, tells the story of a planet inhabited by evolved spiders uplifted by human scientists. Oh, fuck no. The last humans alive in the universe who are on the hunt for a new planet after Earth has become uninhabitable. Because it's full of spider people. But tension arises when the super arthropods realize that they don't want to be replaced by humans. Released in 2015, the book was a hit with critics and fans of the genre and was eventually given the Arthur C. Clarke Award for Best Science Fiction of the Year. And I also would be remiss if uh, I didn't say that Thomas, Shock Monkey Thomas Head has suggested this book for the book club a few times now, including this last round. Keeps getting struck down, huh? Uh, but uh, I don't know. I love that description. I, I might have to uh, vote for it next round. I want to read the thing about humans versus spider people that don't want to be replaced. Green light. Oh. <laughs> I, I, this next story, but it, it touches my heart in such wonderful ways. It touches to the prankster in me. It touches to the horror lover in me. And the person who just loves to explore the world, the person that did this deserves medals, love, and cash. As something of an homage to the Friday the 13th franchise, an artist named Curtis Lair has placed a statue of Jason Voorhees at the bottom of a popular Minnesota lake. Located 120 feet underwater, the life-size replica comes complete with the infamous hockey mask and machete. Making things more accurately gruesome, it's been down there a while, which means it's accumulated some algae and suffered some water deterioration all over its body. The statue harkens back to the ending of Friday the 13th Part 6, Jason Lives, when Tommy Jarvis attempts to kill off Jason by chaining him to the bottom of Crystal Lake. Lair put the statue in the Crosby Area Lake back in 2013. Nice. Now wow. That, now that is laying out a gift to humanity. Yeah. I wonder why it's just now being making the news rounds that Ma- if it's been out there for five years. Um, I'm... I'm Perhaps Lair let some people know, hey, check out X marks the spot in Lake for a secret surprise. And it's 120 feet Ho- down. Hoping that somebody lake. would have stumbled across it. Right. Because apparently Maybe. it was this lake was somewhat popular for divers anyway for being such a deep lake. Because you need huh. scuba equipment basically to get down there. Mm-hmm. 
but that's what a wonderful thing to stumble across in a lake. Oh, I don't know. I need a new wetsuit. (laughs) (laughs) Oh! (laughs) I mean, Lake Mead here in Las Vegas was really cool for all the stuff that it's... Right. It's covered up when the Hoover Dam went up. Right. Like the the rock quarry basically was covered up right in front of the dam. And of course, once upon a time, an old village was covered up. The city of... The town of St. Thomas. Yes. And now it's... But That's Lake is visible again. again. Yeah, <laughs> Lake Mead has evaporated so much that that is now visible. In the fifties, when it was underwater, and there was it was it was hadn't been underwater for long. It had been underwater for like maybe twenty years or so. There were still trees. Oh, I yeah. heard about that. I, I, I had friends that would go visit. That would right. go dive down and see that. And the, and there were trees, and because there was like shade and kind of coverage, a fish hung out there. So it was a good fishing spot. Yeah. But also because there were trees, it was a good place to get your fish your fishing lines caught. Of course. Mm. So my uh, my uh, my uh, my outlaw, uh, my my uh, ex's uh, father. Um, I'm glad not, you explained that. Not my in law, my outlaw. <laughs> um, <laughs> I've never heard it called an outlaw. Before. I like that though. I like that though. The outlaw. Yeah. <laughs> um, he he was a diver. He used to be a uh, diving welder. He used to do that kind of. So he was diving down there for fun, and he uh, got down under the, under the trees and was swimming under the trees, and something felt something pulling on him, and he got something else pulling on him, and he realized that he was caught up with fish hooks. <gasps> really? And he had to yank himself free from the fish hooks by tearing them uh. out of his skin. <laughs> oh! And he punctuated the story when he told me. He goes, from that point on, I always carried a knife with me when I dove. Like, oh yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah. I thought divers normally care not. That's what knives. I thought too, but uh, he he wasn't at that point. Now he does. I guess he doesn't anymore. He doesn't dive anymore. But, but you can go through all these rock quarry tunnels and everything yeah. else. There's exciting things to do down in Lake Mead as a diver. There was, uh, there, there's cliff houses under there. Yeah, I mean, there's 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 Native American cliff houses in there somewhere. So 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 yeah, it's, there's super cool things to dive for. But let's take let's face it. Jason Voorhees is the coolest of them all. Yeah. <laughs> in, in, in his proper spot. It's an underwater museum of love. I kind of want to put some of that on Lake Mead, but it'll pop out of the water in a few years. So, you know. I'll bet you, which could be fun in its own, now I think of it. You could, there's still deep spots in Lake yeah. Mead. You could, it's, it's not going to be uncovered for, for another now. three it, years. It's still 500 yeah. feet deep by the dam. But you're not allowed to go by the dam. No, no you're not. So. Because you'd be a terrorist. <laughs> the, were you diving by the dam? Oh, Not to bro. mention, could get sucked yeah, into the right. intake tower. Exactly. <laughs> oh, there is that. Which is what my outlaw was doing. He was actually welding on the dam. That's why he was oh. out here. Ah. The recently relaunched Orion Pictures has officially scored the rights to a zombie movie musical. All right. The zomb- is it called? Oh, 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 oh. It should be. If it isn't, it should be. The zombie movie musical in question is John McPhail's Anna and the Apocalypse. (laughs) John McPhail's? McPhail? P-H-A-I-L. Wow. Yeah. Lucky name. Yeah. That's got to be made (laughs) Way to go, McPhail. (laughs) Starring Ella Hunt from Our Robot Overlords as the titular Anna, the holiday-themed sing-song zombie romp is planned for a 2018 holiday season release. The film had its world premiere last year at the Fantastic Fest, where it was embraced by critics and audiences. It went on to be featured in the, is it Sitkus Film Festival? Sure. Winning the award for Best Midnight Extreme Feature-Length Film. It's based on the short film Zombie Musical, itself a 2010 BAFTA winner. 
The John McPhail-directed film is written by Alan McDonald and Ryan McHenry. The original musical score is by Roddy Hart and Tommy Riley. The story features a girl named Anna fighting a zombie apocalypse that threatens the sleepy town of Little Haven during Christmas. The troubles at hand force Anna and some friends to team up, fight, and sing for their lives. John Hedgeman, president of Orion, was cheeky, saying, Nothing gets the blood flowing like a good holiday musical, unquote. Sure. Since returning to the world of wide-release theatrical distribution, Orion can count this as its first acquisition. So welcome back, Orion Pictures. Wow. I guess so. I, I'm racking my brain for songs from Man and the King of Siam, but I, I can't. So, yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to. Yeah. No. Disney Channels Worldwide are developing a new show based around Lunetta Lafayette and Devil Dinosaur. Start over. Disney Channels Worldwide? Yeah. What the hell is that? That's all the channels. That's the company that the channels are under. Uh, Disney Channel, Disney Junior, Disney XD. All okay. Those. Yes. It's a new streaming service. Oh, good. Offered by... <laughs> So, who currently star in their own comic book series called Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur. Lunella has been declared the smartest character in the current Marvel Universe. She shares a mental link with Devil Dinosaur due to her inhuman lineage. The new animated series comes in collaboration with executive producers Lawrence Fishburne and Helen Sugland. Uh, late last year, Fishburne let it slip that he was working on a secret project with Marvel. The new series is still in development. And there's no word yet on which of Disney's channels it will be airing when it officially moves forward. Wow. What an obscure Kirby character to end up being. In a, right. Yeah. I don't think Luna says. The Devil Dinosaur says. Yeah, Devil Dinosaur goes way back. Yeah. But uh, yeah, Luna Lafayette, I think she's I, fairly new. I, I read the first Devil Dinosaur story. So. You read the first Devil Dinosaur when it chased you. That's right. Yeah. It was in 2001, the comic book. Two, oh, and the Devil Dinosaur chased you in... How many million BC? Right, right. Okay. Yeah. No, so, no, the, 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 there was a 2001 comic book, and that's where Devil yes. Dinosaurs are deduced. Yes, indeed. I have no idea what this character is, Devil Dinosaur. It's so, a red Tyrannosaurus Rex, and it's smaller than a regular Tyrannosaurus Rex, and, and it's yeah. a terrible character. And it was drawn by Kirby, so it looked cool. Yeah, but okay. it's a terrible character okay. to play in uh, Marvel Puzzle Quest, I will say. Oh, yeah, yeah. okay. Just no fun. It has one good bite, but that's it. Sony Pictures is establishing a brand new department whose sole job is to scout out comic book conventions for intriguing intellectual property that would make good movies, TV shows, and other forms of media. The studio is teaming up with Wizard World, a producer of pop culture expos across North America. Together, they will mine cons for new talent, pitch ideas, and incubate them into actual projects. Quote, you're not necessarily sure where the next great IP is going to come from, said Sony Pictures Consumer Marketing Executive VP Brand Strategy and Global Partnerships, Jeffrey Godsick. That's well, a title. Yeah, right. Yeah. There. That's one, two, three, four, five. That's 11 words before your name. The title. longer the title, the less you do. That's a good point. Mm -hmm. Continuing the quote, when you go into an artist's alley to see booths, you realize there's a lot of good work out there. Wizard World has a credibility in that world, and with their help, we will have access and insights to that is rare. Unquote. Now, Wizard World CEO uh, Don Maiata 
believes there is plenty of great ideas to be found in places between both coasts. Quote, the fandom is alive and vibrant all across America, he said, and the large media companies are finally seeing it. Hello, Quote. Cleveland. Yes. <laughs> Go back to Cleveland, Cleveland. So if you got your big uh, right, writer <laughs> ideas and hanging out in Artist Alley... Sony's gonna come looking at you, Andy. Andy, yeah, but get your booth in there. Yeah. But come only, on, but only at Wizard World, apparently. Oh, yeah. never mind. No mini con, right? Okay, Wizard Wizard World uh, Topeka. Yes, yeah, and I, I'll be I'll be amazed if they come back to Vegas. I will too. That last one was kind of rough. Yeah, well, they didn't promote it at all. Big, it's that too. Yeah. But as I've said many many times, it is hard to get the word out in Vegas. It is. Because there's so much gambling money putting, just taking up all the advertising space. Yeah, I don't know true. why the hell they did it at the convention center either. That's expensive and the parking is bad. It's, yeah. it's, it's a place for much bigger conventions. You're right. So what was it? like? They, so they took the convention center. They were what, in like two, uh, a quarter of it? Oh no so, no! They were in. They they were in a yeah a quarter of one of, of the halls, rooms. Yeah, one of the yeah quarter of a hall. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And you know, speaking of of getting some uh, publicity out there, uh, those of you who live in Las Vegas, MeepleCon is going to be March sixteenth through the eighteenth. That is a tabletop gaming con. Yep. It's a very small one though. It's at East Side Cannery, and I think it has a maximum of six hundred registrants. So. Get in early because it might. This one might actually sell out. You said Cannery is a funky little place. I kind of dig it. It is, and there's already signups for all the games happening, and there's some tournaments as well. So if board gaming is your bag, check out MeepleCon, mm-hmm. March 16th through the 18th. Speaking of Sony, Horizon Zero Dawn holds PlayStation 4's all-time sales record for first-party titles. Wow. Now Sony appears to be doubling down on getting even more in-house content into its gaming platforms. After Horizon developer Guerrilla Games revealed that the PS4 exclusive sold 7.6 million copies in its first year of release, Sony Interactive Entertainment followed up with an announcement that it is restructuring in order to quote, create and develop the most attractive and powerful first-party titles, unquote. Sony has already been accumulating first-party hits with million-selling games like Neo, The Last of Us Remastered, Bloodborne, Uncharted 4, A Thief's End. And beyond Sony's in-house titles, the PS4 has been riding a wave of successful console exclusives like Yoko Taro's Nier Automata, Persona 5, along with updates to classics like Final Fantasy XII, Kingdom Hearts HD 1.5, Plus 2.5 Remix. God, that's also a mouthful. <laughs> and Shadow of the Colossus. 2018 should see a trickle of Sony published AAA games that include God of War on April 20th, Detroit Become Human on May 25th, and Spider-Man sometime before Christmas. That Spider-Man game looks awesome already. Nice. Ooh, bringing back the Lionsgate. Oh. Here's some Lionsgate. All right. But not the Lionsgate not news a, you're not, expecting. Not, made a, not a gate made out of lions. Not a gate made lions. out of lions. And if, if this lions is a gate made a of gate. live lions? Yeah. Lions yes. Gate. Yeah. Or okay. a gate holding back lions? Mm. Or, or just the lions own a gate. They bought and purchased and keep a gate. Oh, I thought it was like a bunch of lions that like, like created a giant software company. Like, no, it's, uh, like, oh. it's when you go to 
Ford Stadium in Detroit, mm-hmm. and there's the when you go through the gate. Oh, it's the, the Lions gate. Huh? Yeah, sure. So this sure. is a sports thing. God damn it! Yeah, sports, 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 sports. Lions Gates Time Square Indoor Entertainment Center. None of those words make sense together. Stop that. It's a random assortment of words. You made that up. You just pulled words out of a hat. Yeah. This is... Try that again with the real words. Lions Gates, Times Square Indoor Entertainment Center, is setting to take hold in Midtown Manhattan sometime in 2019. Okay. That made a little more sense that time. All right. Plans for the center have been announced by Madrid-based Parks Reunidos, a Lionsgate strategic partner and international <laughs> operator of amusement parks, water parks. Oh, yeah. You are the West Nespin of the podcast, man. <laughs> we just sit here and wait for you to pronounce shit. <laughs> tell me, Les, what? tell me what that little Mexican dog is called. Chai Hua Hua? They operate amusement parks, water parks, zoos, and other themed family-oriented hubs of entertainment. The Times Square location will include a number of attractions modeled after Lionsgate properties, such as the Hunger Games Flying Simulator and eating establishments modeled after Pita's Bakery and Capital Confectionery. Uh-huh. A Divergent-inspired, because sure that seems popular enough, a Divergent-inspired obstacle course is also in the works, as is a Mad Men-themed restaurant. Okay, so it's, so it's not all uh, apocalyptic. Uh, right. Yeah. A John Wick Chapter 2 shoot 'em up ride. Ooh, that'd be nice. And the debut of Lionsgate Studio Store, where customers can buy mer- merchandise from the Lionsgate properties. And things don't stop in New York or even North America. Lionsgate plans to build outdoor and indoor theme parks in China, South Korea, China. and Dubai. Mm. No, 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 no. If you're trying to do Donald Trump, you got to say it China. right. China. No, no, you got to say it like he says it, like China. <laughs> <laughs> See, now that's how you do it, man. That's it. That's awesome. Spot on. <laughs> I love it. Spot on. I love it. Disney could potentially tap Ridley Scott to direct a film adaptation of T.A. Barron's The Merlin Saga. I don't know this thing. I don't either. Uh, Scott's production company is in the negotiations to produce the film as well. Deals isn't set in stone. Barron's book series is immense, apparently, and apparently can spawn multiple films, although there's the only one that's being reported is the first one at the moment. There are over 11 books in the story. I look forward to hearing you tell us about all these books next week after you've read them. <laughs> and one encyclopedia of its lore, which were published between 1996 and 2011. So it's been going on ages. Most of the series follows Merlin in the years before he becomes intertwined with King Arthur and company. The script for this adaptation would be written by none other than Philippa Boyens, one of the most important masterminds behind the adaptations of both Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit trilogies, as well as the co-writer of Peter Jackson's King Kong. Hmm. So, had me at Lord of the Rings, make me nervous at Hobbit. But I guess with 11 books, they don't have to expound on something existing like they did with Hobbit. They're, the story's all there. But they will. Well, they didn't do it with Lord of the Rings. Lord of the Rings is, aside from kicking some stuff out, a pretty faithful adaption. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. So, but the Hobbit, they stretched out ridiculously. Right. But that's one book. This is 11 books they yeah. can play with here. They're, they got room. I was thinking about that the other day. If they, they, if they, they weren't stuck in the whole idea with trilogies, yeah. you can break the Hobbit into two books easy. 
In the two movies easy? Two movies easy. Where would you say the cutoff point you would be? You split it after the uh, the dwarves get captured. In the, gob- in the Goblin City? Yeah. And then do all the smog and then the five armies afterwards yeah. in the second picture? Yeah. That's a lot to do in the second picture. Yeah. I'm not saying cut into trilogy, but or no, the weird no. thing about The Hobbit is there's a really no good cutoff point for two films. You can, I guess you could break it when they get to the uh, get to the mountain. Yeah, that's probably the break best it when place they get to the mountain. It. That would work. You're right. Get go through the the the, the, the elves and yeah. Look at the mountain. Stop. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that would make sense. Conrad Vernon, co-director of Sausage Party, has signed on to helm MGM's upcoming The Adams Family animated feature. Uh, Pam, uh, Pamela Petler writer of Corpse Bride and Monster House, wrote the script based on the cartoons with revisions by Matt Lieberman, whose credits include the upcoming Scooby-Doo and Jetsons films. Created by Charles Adams, the Adams family started as a single-panel cartoon that mostly appeared in The New Yorker. None of the characters had names. Those came about in 1964 when the characters were fleshed out in their short-lived TV series. Gomez and Morticia were parents to Wednesday and Pugsley. They also live with Butler Lurch, Uncle Fester, uh, Grandmama, Cousin It, and Thing, a disembodied hand. The series took great joy in offering satirical, slightly macabre look at the modern family. The series aired during the same same years as the similarly themed The Munsters. Throughout the 1970s, the Addams Family returned for TV for several specials, reunions, animated shows, but finally made its biggest commercial comeback in 1991 with the live-action feature film starring Angelica Houston, Rolf Julia, and Christina Ricci. The film was a success in Lad... That's 91 or... Oh, yeah. 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 That's right, old man. I was in high school when it came out. I've talked to... Some of this came up recently where I was talking to a cartoonist who didn't know about the cartoons. And I highly recommend going back and finding the original Charles Adams cartoons. They are just delightful. Yes, they are. It's, yeah. that, it's that delight and morbidity. Yes. Yeah. Um, and and properly put in the New Yorker. And and on a similar <laughs> note, Gahan Wilson uh, was another New Yorker and Playboy artist. Uh, did great macabre cartoons. Oh, um, yeah. So I look them up. But um, weird note about the Raúl Julia as Gomez. Uh, you know they recast from the original Gomez. Uh, you know Raúl Julia, of course, is since passed. And yes, John Aston is still with us. Oh, that's, <laughs> is he? Oh, he is. Oh my. That I did wow. not know. Yeah. I didn't know that either. Wow. All right, got room for one more. Room for one more. Here we go. He's got to be in his 90s. Yeah, he's Sean he? Astin's dad. I know he is, yeah. but I mean, he was older. I didn't older. know that either. I, I know he was older when Sean Astin was born, so that guy's got to be up there. Yeah, I'm, I'm checking. All right, you check out. All right, here's, here's the last story. Danny's on it. When George Romero died in the summer of 19... 19- <laughs> Must be that point of the right. show. Yeah. Sean Aston is 87. John Aston. John Aston is 87. <laughs> it's spreading. <laughs> it's that broken moment of the yeah. show. When George Romero died in the summer of 2017, he left behind an incomplete novel that promised to take the zombie plague he first pioneered in Night of the Living Dead on a time spanning global journey. Simply titled The Living Dead, the epic new story was poised to usher zombies even further into the uncharted social, political, and even personal territory that characterizes Romero's career. Romero's final unfinished novel is set to rise again 
thanks to a deal that puts Guillermo del Toro collaborator Daniel Krauss in the author's role. The dead shall rise again. Yes, they shall. Krauss confessed to the Entertainment Weekly a reverence for Romero's work, one to which he probably owes his very career. Quote, he's the reason I'm a writer, Krauss said. He might be the reason I'm interested in art, period. Here's the novel's synopsis. Spread across three separate time periods and combined Romero's biting social commentary with Krauss's gift for the beautiful and grotesque, the book rockets forward as the zombie plague explodes, endures, and finally, in a shocking final act, begins to radically change, unquote. Publisher Tor Books told EW. So Tor, that's some yeah. cachet. Mm-hmm. Krauss earned an Odyssey Award for Rotters, his 2012 young adult novel about grave robbing. In 2015, he went on to co-write with Del Toro the Troll Hunters novel that inspired the Netflix animated series of the same name. Another Krauss-Del Toro book collaboration, the novel adaptation of Del Toro's The Shape of Water, will have just been released last week, I believe. Uh, the Living Dead is set to release in the fall of 2019. Okay. Young All adult right. novel about grave robbing? Right? That, okay. That's a pitch. Yeah. That's a fine pitch. And I think it's about a family that grave robs. Wow. So it's not like two kids going off for fun. It's it's a family affair. It's not a Hardy Boy thing. It's, more of a, boy. it's more of a boxcar children. The Hardy thing. Boys are actually kind of a family thing. The dad is around on that. God, so. boxcar children. Mm. Yeah. Until they do the Nancy Drew reboot. Mm. Nancy Drew's Robin Graves. When are you Robin Graves? Write to us comments at uglycouchshow.com. And until next week, which we'll probably do the live show, so we'll see, probably be the week after that, unless weird things happen. I am Master Torgo. 80s Jeff. Fact Jack Dandy. Maple Leaf Matt. And we'll talk to you next week-ish in Geek. And thanks to all the monkeys that donated money to St. Baldrick's for me shaving my head. Yeah, you don't have hair. I don't I have hair. I watched the video. Yeah. He has stubble. Yeah. yeah it, but it's you're soft right. and fuzzy. You're right. I, Kirsten was right. Your head is built for this cut. Yeah. And you kept the beard, which is glorious. Right, you have to, because then it gives me the illusion of a chin. Yes. Yeah. That's important. <laughs> that's, that's, that's kind of the reason for the beard in yeah. modern day. Yeah. <laughs> Note all the facial hair in the room. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Commander hey. K is absent. This yeah. is a facial hair podcast. Has yep. K ever had a beard? I do not recall him having a beard. Hmm. I don't think so. I can't remember him having a beard. I wonder if he, it's... What if one of those guys that can't grow a beard? Because I barely can. I have facial hair, but I I'm patchy. Mm. I'm super patchy. I uh, this this I I couldn't grow one until I was in my mid thirties. So maybe it's because of Kay's Hawaiian it's, heritage. Ah, uh, yeah. I think that's it. <laughs> His Hawaiian heritage. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, he can't grow a beard because. That's that a callback. That's against. Yeah. That's against. <laughs> that's against his contract. You see, man. <laughs> oh, <that's good. laughs>